Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 11 of the Mandolins and Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my number one visited website on my browser, The Mandolin Cafe. And here we go with episode number 11 of the Mandolins and Beer podcast with my guest, Jake Jolliffe. Definitely one of my favorite players uh, currently right now and just a super nice guy. Um, once again, brought to you by the Mandolin Cafe. They've got a contest going on right now with Diodario for some strings. A giveaway uh, today is the 16th of October and it's going for a couple days. So if you're listening to this right now, go over there and register to win yourself some strings. Um, my other sponsor... This week is Peghead Nation. Peghead Nation is back. And um, if you're not familiar with Peghead Nation, they are a streaming video course website with uh, lessons in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. You learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. PegheadNation.com features a great lineup of mandolin instructors with courses including beginning mandolin and intermediate bluegrass mandolin with Sharon Gilchrist. Bluegrass Mandolin Jam Favorites and the Advancing Mandolinist with Joe K. Walsh. Monroe Style Mandolin with Mike Compton. Melodic Mandolin Tunes with John Reichman, who I'm speaking with tomorrow. That'll be awesome. Chord Melody Mandolin with Aaron Weinstein. Irish Mandolin with Marla Fibish. And Theory for Mandolin and Fiddle with Chad Manning. Courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. Join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now. Get your first month for free. Just go to PegheadNation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER at checkout. MANDOLINBEER is all one word, M-A-N-D-O-L-I-N-B-E-E-R. All right, what a great episode last week with Matt Flinner, huh? Man, that guy's so good. Actually, the little intro there was, um, was inspired. It was a little, my take on Cluck Old Hen there before we started up. I was listening to the Phillips Flinner and Greer album. And that's the hidden track. Um, so that's great stuff. Uh, the podcast Spotify playlist is growing and growing. I added a ton of songs this week with Jake Jolliffe. And I had a recommendation from a listener, which I'm going to use. I'm going to start each. Um, well, I already started each one with a song by the uh, by the artist. But I will also end that version of the uh, of the podcast update with another song by that artist. So you have an idea that this thing is growing huge. It's going to be over 100 songs here starting this week um i just ordered hats hats will be coming i'm excited to get those they should be here november 1st they're great looking they're trucker hats got the patch for the mandolins and beer logo which looks a lot like the sticker and a lot like the logo on the t-shirt and the koozies which all of those you can get at mandolinsandbeer.com you can also go there and drop me a line as well i get a lot of emails from y'all you can also get my uh, show dates where you can come and check me out. Always, though, be sure to message me. Um, sometimes I'll pick up an out-of-town gig, and um, I don't necessarily have time to update my calendar for some of my regular gigs. So every Tuesday, I'm at the washout on Folly Beach. Every Thursday, I'm at Dockery's on Daniel Island. And every Friday and Saturday morning for brunch at Prohibition on King Street in Charleston. So those are usually always places you can catch me, but I was in Amelia Island this weekend for a wedding. So... I did not play this weekend. If you came to see me there, I apologize you didn't. But always just send me a message. You can also get me on Facebook, Mandolins of Beer, and Instagram, Mandolins and Beer. All right, well, that's it. Thanks so much for listening. Be, hurt. Be sure to hit subscribe again. It's the easiest way that we can uh, that I can get this word out is by subscribers, and I appreciate everybody who's listening. Thank you so much. And uh, I got some very exciting stuff coming up, a real, real cool thing coming up in December that uh, is just kind of taking place and, and shaping up, and it's going to be up in Nashville. So I'm excited. I can't wait for uh, to announce what's going on with that. But anyway, I'll leave you with that and get to this podcast with one of my favorite players, Jake Jolliffe. Cheers, everybody. All right, well, now I'd like to welcome to the uh, Mandolins and Beer podcast, Mr. Jake Jolliffe. Jake, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great, man. It's good to be here, Daniel. Oh, thank you so much for doing it. And you are in Colorado currently? 
I am. Yep, I'm out in Boulder, Colorado. Nice. Love it out there. It's so beautiful. Yep. Sure is. Um, and you are, are you getting ready to do some more dates with Yonder right now or? Yeah, we're playing in Longmont uh, tonight and tomorrow night. Oh, cool, at a man. festival. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you are playing all the time. Let's, we should talk about that real quick here. You are on tour either with your <laughs> band, the Jake Jolliffe Band. with the Yonder Mountain String Band. We get it on most every night And when that moon gets big and bright It's a supernatural delight Everybody's dancing in um, A yep. lot, so... Pretty much, yeah. The last year, year and a half especially, I've been kind of, you know, going on tour with Yonder and then jumping off that and going on tour with my band and then jumping back on tour with Yonder. So not a lot of days off, but um, <laughs> I don't know how long I'll keep up that exact schedule. But uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I am I'm, love touring and, you know, at least, I like being on the road at least half the time, you know. Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> and um you just did a uh, uh like a david a david grisman type of show right did you play the quintet album in its entirety yeah yeah my band uh at at the zen barn um we uh, up in uh waterbury center uh vermont near, near Bur- burlington uh we played um the first david grisman quintet record just straight through which was a blast i mean i you know i've known a lot of those songs for a long time but it was the first time it's the first time my band's covered a whole record and um you know it, it's it's fun to do one where you've you've been listening to it for 20 years you know <laughs> right right and you guys do like a uh with yonder you guys do a thing like once a year where you cover an album don't you yeah, at least once a year. Yeah, we um at String Summit yeah, um yeah. out in Oregon in July, we do um a different record uh each year. At least we have for the last 4 years. Nice. Yeah. What was uh-huh. the uh what was the one you guys did this past year? Uh, this actually this last year was the first time we've done it, it wasn't a particular record. It was like kind of a mixtape of just like greatest hits and uh from kind of I mean it was it was pretty varied. We had lots of special guests singing with us. Oh, cool. the, the year before was uh the Steve Miller band greatest hits. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, and then we did two Pink Floyd records the two preceding years. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. So that those were super fun. Oh man, I bet. I bet. Yeah. How do you guys go about figuring out who's going to play what parts and stuff like that? Well, you know, on the Pink Floyd stuff, the mandolins mix pretty low in the, on those original <laughs> recordings. Yeah, so, yeah, real, real low. You would almost yeah, think there wasn't low, one on there. Uh, yeah, I don't have to. Uh, I don't have to learn a lot of um, you know exact parts, other than maybe I cop some of the uh, electric guitar parts or something. So, you know, it's 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 definitely a lot more responsibility on our bassist and guitar player, and then we usually have. Um, a drummer and keyboardist um, for those gigs too. Um, oh, cool! So a lot of responsibility falls on them, um, and you know, and I kind of, I can kind of float over the top to some degree on the mandolin. So, you know, I learned the tunes um, on my own and and you know try to add what I can. This last year, I played all the whole thing on electric mandolin. Oh, did that. you really? Yeah, and that was fun. You just having an amp behind me and oh, yeah. distortion and stuff. So you know. <laughs> to the naked eye, it looked like I was probably playing a miniature guitar and it sounded like <laughs> that too. So I probably felt a little bit cooler than I actually looked. You know, but I'm used to that. That's most of my life. Yeah, yeah so. that's most mandolin players' <laughs> life, I think, right? Yeah, probably so. Oh man, what kind of what kind of electric mandolin were you playing? It's made by uh, Jonathan Mann, Mann M A N N, and it was it's really nice. It, I just got it uh, a few months ago, and it's. Uh, it was real affordable, and uh, 
you know, it sounds great. I haven't honestly haven't done as much with it as I want to. I, I just haven't, you know, I'm not home very often. I, I don't take it out on the road yet, but, sure. but that was the only, that was the only gig I played on it, but it, I think it worked out well. I mean, it felt, felt great. It plays really well that the neck he modeled after my Gilchrist neck. So wow. the neck, neck's a pretty um easy adjustment. And, you know, when you're used to playing a, you know, F5, um, playing electric mandolin just feels so you know nice on the hands you oh know? yeah it's just yeah i bet <laughs> not to me- not to mention like the extra sustain that that you have usually it just makes it really really fun to play what is sustain I'm just not kidding. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> that's like the exactly, worst thing. Yeah. Like people, you, you always have to. I always feel like sometimes you have to play so many notes because you don't have like the ability to just let one ring out for ten seconds. You know, like cool. yeah. I mean, you know the the great players like you know Grisman. He certainly can make one ring out for a lot longer than most of us. Yeah, but yeah, for sure. In general, it's an instrument with a little, not a huge mass. <laughs> right, right. Is it most a, people would agree with that. Is it a four string or a five string? Um, mine's just a four string. Cool. Yeah, I, kinda, I like that. Kind of. I would. I'd like to get a five string sometime, but because I'm just dipping my toes in it, I kind of wanted something that would be the easiest thing to transition to from the mandolin. Um, so I just got a four string, just normal range. Um, but yeah, I'd be super interested in getting a a five string or like a five string mandola or something. Oh or something. yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. And I'm guessing that recording's probably on. Yonder's really good with putting their shows on their website for sale too. So if somebody yeah, wanted, it would be somebody wanted to hear you play somewhere. electric mandolin, I'm sure they That's could probably right. go to you to Yonder's website and and be they able could to listen find to it. it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, one of many other places. You guys are you guys are really good with allowing tapers and stuff too. So that's always yeah, cool. yeah, exactly. So what got you into mandolin? What brought you, what brought you into this world of instruments you know um i started um i was homeschooled and as part of my schoolwork, my uh dad had my myself and my sisters all um you know at least start an instrument you know they didn't they didn't stick with it as long as i you know have but uh i i didn't you know i started on the mandolin i didn't i didn't love it for about the first six months and then <laughs> all of a sudden uh and this is kind of more according to to him because i don't remember back that far but i (laughs) I just started like overnight i started loving loving playing the mandolin and practicing all the time um after about six months of not really caring about it um so i don't know what shift but uh it hasn't shifted back yet you know it's been pretty much like that the last 20 some years so yeah that's awesome it was a was a bluegrass right away that that you uh started playing much yeah, I played in a, you know, I played with my dad and he's, he, he's a bluegrass musician and we had a bluegrass gospel band and oh cool. Um, we also did a lot of stuff as a duo and, um, but it was definitely bluegrass. That's definitely my home base. Yeah. Was there an album out there when you were, when you were the young guy bouncing around practicing that you were like, Oh God, this album is so great. Yeah. I mean, I, I was really into the Del McCurry band, you know, at a pretty young age mm-hmm. and that, I think even be- even before that, I was I had the like essential Bill Monroe, the, like um, the, the, that box set that's the stuff with Flat and Scruggs and Chubby Wise and um, I loved that stuff so i definitely liked bluegrass from the beginning and then i um i was really into the osborne brothers i remember oh I yeah i was into them maybe even before i was playing i liked listening to them And then, um, and then, yeah, I got super into the Del McCurry band, which that's definitely never stopped. I'm still, they're still my favorite bluegrass band. And awesome. Certainly went through a 
you know, and, you know, I, I, I met, um, Chris Thiele when I was about 11, I think. Oh, wow. And definitely went through a big Thiele phase. I mean, if you're a mandolin player, you know, he's pretty much undeniable force, you know, and for sure. Um, so he, he's, you know, certainly been a huge influence. Did you take lessons with him at all at any time or? Not, no, definitely not formal lessons. Certainly would have loved to, but uh, sure, yeah, sure. I, I was, you know, I got to sit down with him a few times when I was young and he definitely gave me some pointers and, you know, I think just, um, yeah, definitely you know, um, ran into him, you know, once or twice a year for, for a bunch of years and he's always been really supportive and um, always very uh, giving when it comes to, um you know, I definitely always had questions for him about how to do stuff. But I think, you know, just as much like listening to him and watching videos and all that, you know, mm-hmm. was also, you know, just as helpful. You know, he was just, you know, he obviously paved, a, paved the way for the next who knows how many generations. It's crazy for yeah. me to wrap wrap my head around the fact like you obviously kind of came up on that generation where like Thiele was a real big influence and you're an incredible player. And then there's going to be some kid out there who listens to you, who was in, influenced by Thiele, who is just going to be uh, just a machine and a half. It's like the, the thought of well, that, of, like, taking sure. somebody. I, mean, I think they're already out there. You know, I'm not as young as I used to be. There's definitely <laughs> <laughs> players in their early 20s and, and – um, definitely a few that I've seen that are like high school, middle school age that are incredible, you know? So I think the bar just gets higher and higher. For sure. And uh, what I, what's really great about your playing though, too, and, and actually Mike Marshall and I talked about this and, and you in particular is some of, sometimes you'll see some of this stuff on Instagram with some of these really, really hot players, but they're kind of missing like that groove. You know what I mean? Like they're missing, sure. it's like they missed some of the fundamental stuff where, you know, a guy like Thiele and a guy like you went back and listened to Bill Monroe and Del McCurry and, and started it there and, and, um, and found the fundamentals where some people kind of skip that step and they just go to the fast playing and you still right, maintain right. groove, which I think is so important and is like a huge difference. Oh, thanks. Of course. Of course. Is there some way that you kind of, um, that you, that you've, managed to hang on to that while also playing at some pretty fast speeds um you know i think even with Thiele, like you know uh, when i first saw him play and i i you know i never went through a huge phase of like i need to sound just like him or something you know mm-hmm. obviously like i i you know idolized him for sure but i think from a pretty young age what you know i realized that you know when i watched him play I, what i was really envious of is his just facility you know it's it's not that I wanted to, yeah, I definitely, maybe I went through a couple years of, of trying to be a, you know, a Thiele clone or, you know, a very poor man Thiele clone, but, <laughs> but I think pretty quickly I realized that, um, I, you know, I didn't necessarily want to sound just like him. I just, you know, he's the only guy that can get around the instrument like that. And so I was obviously paying attention to what he did, but I, I definitely spent just as much time trying to sound like Ronnie McCurry or David Grisman and, um, you know, I guess the probably the five biggest ones for me are Thiele, Ronnie, Grisman, Sam Bush, and Bill Monroe. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I mean, Pretty I kind of those five. <laughs> yeah, those, those five for me are definitely the most influential. Um, and they all kind of have very different um, niches, too. You know, they mm-hmm. they all did very different things. They all have really distinct sound on the instrument. So that's always been a, um, a big priority for me. You know, I don't necessarily even articulate that always, but I when I'm playing, I'm definitely have a sound in my head um, that I'm trying to get in kind of everything I do in terms of working on my technique and stuff is, is kind of mostly based around trying to um, um, get the sound I want, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, the kind of attack, you know, and, and all that. So, so when you, when you say that just for, for, for people out there who might be listening, like, cause that's come up a few times where people talk about working on tone and working on sound. How does that something that you approach when you're, when you're not on the road, well, I guess even when you're on the road and when you're sitting down and you're like, I'm trying to sound better for you, what does that approach look like? You know, a lot of it really is kind of just having the sound in your head and then playing a lot 
to make that happen. Mm -hmm. Like I mean, a lot of the things you can do, maybe there are technique things that you can make like these definitive changes and, and work on sort of always doing it that way. But sound to me, it's, I don't really understand how, you know, why does like Tony Rice's guitar sound the way his does or Sam Bush's mandolin, you know, it's a pretty like ephemeral thing and there's a million different variables. And I think at the end of the day, it's the sound they have in their head and they figured out how to make that happen. But, you know, I, you know, I definitely will watch videos of Ronnie in particular and be like, Oh, that touch and that sound, like I want to mm -hmm. sound more like that. But most of the time it's kind of just like practicing, you know, head, you know, I'll sit down, put my head right in front of the instrument and try to work on getting the sound, you know, and it's, there's a lot of different types of mandolin tone now too, because there's like guys that are going to have a huge sound in the room. Um, like Grisman, you know, obviously he's got a sound and he's got the volume where it's going to like be effective in a certain scenario. Right. And that's one sound. I mean, you get, there's other types of sound that, you know, where it's like, somewhat more of a studio construct because it's it's happening acoustically pretty quietly but then when it's like blown up with a mic with a condenser mic it's a real rich huge sound and, and i don't think one's better than the other they're just different and, and for me um that's a big thing too is like how much you're pushing the instrument um you know you know the great the greatest players you know steely and grisman and ronnie they can they get a great sound at lots of different volumes it's not like a uniform thing but you're not going to, you know, it's a different sound when you have a real quiet, even playing that's mm -hmm. been blown up with a mic in the studio to sound sure. big versus playing that is acoustically happening at really high volume. That's going to sound different. Sometimes that actually sounds smaller in the studio because it's not like as even and like compressed. So, right, right. Um, you know, I, I mostly focus on getting the sound I want in a room because that's the scenario I care about the most, you know, at sure. the end of the day, like playing tunes with people and th that is means as much to me as playing on stage and stuff. So, but there are, there are certain more particular things. Like I've definitely noticed that playing through a pickup, which I do all the time, playing harder is not always better. In fact, playing harder, kind of like in the studio, playing harder can, can make you sound smaller sure. um, for, for different reasons. But um, so I, you know, playing as much through a pickup as I do now, um, like with Yonder, I'll, I'll, I'll intentionally play quieter sometimes, mm -hmm. you know? Sure. It's still not that quiet. I have a pretty like heavy hand to begin right. with. So sure. it's not that, it's not that quiet, but, um, I used to, when I was like in my early twenties, I hear recordings that just sound like I was always playing as hard as I could. <laughs> I don't really, I don't really know why I was just like angst, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so was there like, was it maybe, was there like, is there any big surprise influence in there besides like, so you name the, the big five in the bluegrass world, but is there like a, uh, a crazy, is there like some Kurt Cobain maybe coming out in that angst or was there ever a time, was there ever a time no. where you're listening to anything besides bluegrass where you're like, Oh, maybe oh this well, you know, I named my sort of five favorite mandolinists, but honestly, they, they don't really occupy the bulk of my listening mm -hmm. now. And, and bluegrass doesn't either. I have, there's sort of very, there's a few bluegrass bands I really, really like that are still working today that I'll listen to. But um, other than that, I don't listen to a huge amount of bluegrass. You know, I listen sure. to a lot of jazz and yeah. um, some, some classical and some pop. And jazz is definitely the thing I listen to the most, though. Mm-hmm. Well, you so, can tell that um, I think that comes out in your playing and I think you and I have discussed this before, but you have a very, um, your playing reminds me of like, like, a like a killer horn player who takes breaths. You know what I mean? Like you have this, you have these strings of notes and, and cool and cool notes that you use, not just blazing through a scale blindly, but then you have these like pauses that you take that are really like, like when you listen to like Coltrane or something or Charlie Parker and you're just like, ah. Oh, yeah, man, that's that's well, what you're playing. Really, yeah, I can you. pick that up a bit. So, I mean, I you know, I'm definitely still just like doing my best to fake, you know, those <laughs> types of lines that they, you know, but but like that's a they're a big influence for sure. But it's you know, it makes a, it definitely permeates pretty slowly. I have to say, you know, there's a lot of sort of bluegrass instincts that I'm still sort of working to undo within the jazz context. Not to say they're bad instincts because they work it within bluegrass, sure. but. Um, you know, stuff like defining the time all the time, you know, and that's right. something in bluegrass, you know, if a player isn't doing that with his soloing or whatever, it, it probably doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound right to me, but, you know, in a jazz context, you have a lot more opportunity to kind of float over the rhythm section and, and the relationship of the, 
your time into that of the rhythm section, you know, they don't always need to, you know, you can be back phrasing or uh, playing over the time. And, and that's, you know, it sounds great, you know, which w- would sound strange in a bluegrass context, you know, oh, for I'd sure. still, still be interested to hear it, but it would be not super idiomatic, you know? Right. Right. So did you, um, do you have any pieces like when you said you like kind of picked Thiele's mind? Cause I'm sure a lot of people listening here, you know, would love to have had the chance to pick Thiele's mind. Is there anything that he said to you in all those years that maybe stuck with you the most? Um, man, honestly, I haven't had a conversation about mandolin technique with Thiele for probably 15 years <laughs> sure, you know, sure. or more. I mean, you know, which like, I totally would love to, I'd love to pick his brain about stuff, but yeah. you know, he's a, he's a busy dude. <laughs> oh yeah. But any, anything um, from like anything from way back there that like, as, as young Jake was learning, you're like, that just still sticks with you today playing wise, or just a tip that he gave you that you were, you know, that really changed the course of things for you back then. You know, to be honest, I I can't remember too much. I've heard, probably more recently. I've heard other people who have talked to him or have mm-hmm. talked about being around around him. Sure. Um, and I think, you know, I think when I'm like when you see someone like Dealey play, you know, everything he plays, he's mastered to such a high degree, and <laughs> right. that that's kind of what sticks out to me. And and I guess the thing I'm always most curious about is how he practices because sure. it's. You know, I think the best players have their methods for practicing that are probably not the same as any other player. You know, I, I know I have my sort of maybe unique approaches when I'm practicing that aren't, aren't necessarily ones that anyone told me about, but that mm-hmm. are just kind of um, necessity sort of um, I came up with them. But, um, you know, yeah, so I'm not sure. I mean, to be honest, it's it's just, you know, his um, – you know, tension is kind of what it comes down to a lot of the time, like how you use tension. And, mm-hmm. you know, clearly like for, you know, Thiele's right hand, he's figured out where tension needs to be and not be for it to <laughs> right. be super, super functional at all speeds. And, um, you know, people talk about like loosening, you know, have a loose wrist and, and people say my wrist looks loose. I mean, the thing is like, you can't just be loose. Like any, I never tell students just, just loosen up because that it never works. It never really helps. Like you need to figure out like what needs to be loose and how to make it loose and how to make it loose while still getting a good sound. And, um, so more than loose, you know, what I think what you're looking for is like effortless, you know, what's an, or, or like sustainable, sustainable, you know, like what, like a lot of times I think about like, okay, is this something when I'm playing a phrase or a tune or whatever, is this, is this going to feel right if, if it was a lot faster or louder or like, would I be able to play this? Does it feel like something I could execute on stage? And usually if it's something I'm working on, it, it doesn't, you know, I mean, I might be able to eke it out, but I kind of, <laughs> I feel like the older I get, the more I know kind of how things are supposed to feel for me to be able to execute them under pressure, you know? Right, right. That's awesome. That's not to say I don't play things on stage that I'm eking them out, but I, I, I at least feel like I know the difference now between, okay, here's something where I'm going to struggle and it's going to be a struggle. <laughs> yeah. um, sometimes you have to and, you know, endure that struggle. Um, you kind of have to force it for a while. You know, you, I don't think I, you know, it's not like you, it's this perfectly linear thing where you like master it and then you perform it on stage. Sometimes, you know, I have to play stuff that I, in my own tunes for that matter, that I, you know, I'm still eking out, but sometimes that playing it under pressure, you can still be really informative. You're like, okay, that didn't feel great, but I noticed a couple things about, about it, not, you know, about what's going wrong, you know? Sure. It's a whole going for it. Sometimes you just have to do it in, in the moment totally. and, 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 and do it. So, um, yeah. yeah. So, um, so you you you're talking about right hand technique and practice. I'd love to hear a little bit about your your right hand stuff because when we talk about like your um, joy killed sorrow stuff, um, some of the playing on there, your right hand is just really drives those recordings. Uh, sure. And, and you do have a your right hand technique is is pretty killer, man. If if somebody's listening, this isn't, isn't familiar. Just go YouTube some videos of Jake in yeah, playing, and you'll figure. Oh, see. thanks. Yeah, man, it's 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 amazing. So what is what are some of the things you do? And I know you have a pretty intense practice schedule that you kind of put yourself through. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's no like it's not like a routine I do every day, especially mm-hmm. not these days because it's it's you know it's largely I practice when I can. You sure, know? sure. Some days I'll have a, several hours. Um, some days I'll just have like forty five minutes before I go on stage. You know. Yeah. Um. So you know, and I don't I don't these days I hardly ever practice just like right hand technique or any kind of technique just like on its own you know mm-hmm. it's always attached to something like musical like maybe only like a scale or something sometimes but most of the time a tune or transcription or um some sort of more often than a scale it's like a pattern of some sort through a scale oh yeah cool. um but uh you know um yeah so I, a lot of it's to be honest it's just a lot of experimentation you know i feel mm-hmm. like anything i've you know i feel like my right hand has a huge uh, you know, amount to go, you know, to be where I want it to be. But, you know, anything I have learned how to do, it's been mostly through, yeah, experimenting, you know, and, and also just sort of not being satisfied with stuff, you know, I sure. think, um, but you gotta be kind of willing to change how you're doing something too, you know, I'm, oh, yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm always sort of shaking it up. I'm always changing stuff in my right hand or trying to change stuff. But then, you know, when I go on stage, I don't ever think about it or 99% of the time I don't. Cause then, then you have to just be thinking about playing and you're improvising, you know, you're just thinking about listening and um, what you can do to, to add to the musical situation. But so you can't be thinking about your right hand then. So by the time you're on stage, you're sort of stuck with the right hand that you have, right? <laughs> right, right. You have, you know? Sure. Um, granted, sometimes that's more frustrating than others, Some, you know, but yeah, I think ex- experimentation is is the main thing maybe that I've have going for me when I work on right hand stuff. I'm not not afraid to change stuff. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So let's go back just a little bit. Now, you before you went because you went to Berkeley, um, uh-huh. college of music in Boston. But re- and you were playing obviously. I mean, you, before that with you, with your dad, did you play like in any bluegrassy bands with other players in your area before you went over to Berkeley, or did you just? Kinda- yeah, my dad. My dad and I had a, a bluegrass gospel band that was basically um, he played banjo and sang and mm-hmm. I played mandolin and sang. And then we had a guitar player and a bass player that played with us. Um, so we gigged around a lot, um, you know, from when I was I started gigging with him when I was like nine. And then um, I kind of stopped gigging with him for a couple of years in high school because I was just high school age and had a girlfriend and was sort of sick of playing bluegrass all the time and, <laughs> sure. and mostly hanging out with you know middle-aged bluegrass musicians so <laughs> but but i definitely had a bunch of years where that's what i did and mm-hmm. um also like met a lot of great young players when i was in high school and um like alex hargraves uh one of the first ones i met we, we've known each other since we were real young like oh, 11 wow no kidding or something like that yeah wow what a fortuitous um, friendship <laughs> i know yeah and he's my roommate in New York, or one of my roommates in New York. So that's kind of funny. Um, and obviously plays in my band and stuff. Yeah. Um, which one of the smaller gigs he has for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I met a lot of others. You know, Dominic Leslie, who's one of my favorite mandolinists. You know, he's a peer of mine, and we we met when we were probably fourteen or at Mike Marshall's mandolin symposium. Oh, cool. Um, the the very first one that Thiele and Grisman and Mike were all that and i met i met dominic there and i met sarah jarose there um and several other amazing players that still work today so it's amazing man i know it's, it's kind of crazy I definitely for, feel really fortunate that a lot of the kids i came up with were all still you know we all went to music school and then we're all still playing now you know sarah uh dominic um sierra hall um you know, I heard about her when I was super young too. And, sure. uh, you know, Wes Corbett, great banjo player. Oh, yeah. Enjoy Kills Sorrow with. We've known each other forever. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a bunch. So that's so, that's pretty cool. That's great, man. So did you, yeah. when, did you, was Berkeley, was that like the number one thing? How did you decide what you wanted to do those next steps? Cause I, you know, obviously Berkeley is huge, but was that always the, yeah. like the goal or was there, was there some other well, things too? Or? I certainly thought about it a lot in high school. And, mm-hmm. You know, I'd had some friends that had gone there. And I think that, um, you know, at the time it was like one of the only places that would allow you to be a mandolin performance major. And, uh, you know, in retrospect, I think there would have been a lot to be said for 
getting a degree in composition or music business or something like that. But at, <laughs> at the time when I was in high school, I, you know, I didn't give a shit about any of that. I just wanted to <laughs> yeah. have an excuse to practice more. And so I went to Berkeley and basically just practiced. I, you know, I practiced a ton and I was on tour with Joy Kill Sorrow a lot. And then I sort of got by in my classes as best I could. <laughs> you know, I would definitely skip class to practice. Like that's definitely something I did. Sure. On the reg. On the reg. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a paid off. Seems like a yeah. Paid well, off. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's still playing for a living, you know. Yeah, exactly. So, so funny. You never think about the mis- music business stuff until you're in the music business, and you're like, I should have taken a music business class. <laughs> you know, I took one class, and and I did get a lot out of it. I did. I just wish I would have taken more. Now, you know, I feel like I've been in the music business and on several different levels for you know, um, and and feel like. I would definitely love those who have taken more classes and it would have helped me, you know, like a lot of the information I feel like I know now, I wish I knew, you know, when I was 18. Yeah. It's probably um, changed so much though, man. The music business itself is like kind of been turned on its ear in the last 10 years as far as like, you know, record sales and versus streaming and, and, you know, like people buying yeah. CDs at shows as opposed to being like, Oh, I'm just listening to this on Spotify. You know what I mean? Like you got it's right. like a whole nother revenue stream and finding you know ways to to make a living so it's great to see that people still do it so well you know totally um i mean you know more than ever probably now people just make mostly make their money from playing shows you know getting going on tour because um unfortunately like releasing records is not much of a revenue stream i mean if you get millions of spotify hits you know that's some you know i'm sure that makes some money but it Nothing compared to when people were getting millions of, you know, radio plays. Oh yeah, for sure. You know. Yeah, it's pretty wild to to think about yeah. that. And even just even like advances from like I mean, so much could be done without a record label without going in debt now. You know. Right. Like getting the ridiculous yep. loans. You know, so just so you can totally. buy a van <laughs> and then totally. have, to, have yeah. to pay them back at a terrible loan rate. <laughs> right. Right. So then, um, were you before was you were on the first time I heard you was on the Tone Poems record? That oh um, wow! That, that David Grisman had, had put out in that was, was that before Berkeley then? How old would you have been when that came Oh out? yeah. I was probably like 15. Wow. And um, already yeah. hearing that, I was like, Oh man, I'm going to keep my eye out for this dude because it, that was like, I mean, that whole recording is so great. And that was definitely one of the songs that kind of stopped me in my tracks and was like, Oh, who is this? <laughs> man. Yeah. It's funny. I barely remember, you know, I barely remember it. It was so long ago. It's, oh, I bet. Uh, yeah. But uh, Grisman is, you know, I haven't gotten to hang out with him or see him much in the last, like, 10 years, I guess. But he was um, always super supportive. And I got to sit in with his quintet a few times when I was a kid. And, wow. You know, yeah, he was just such a great role model and um, obviously a huge influence on my playing, too. Oh yeah. So you join Joy Kill Sorrow when you're in Boston, and you guys, yeah, you guys my, um, put out a couple records ahead, with you. Oh, that's okay. You put out a couple records with them, correct? Three, yeah, three records. Um, I joined my sophomore year of college, so 2008. Um, and uh, yeah, we put out, I guess, two records and then like a long EP, um, which is probably the one I'm actually most proud of. Was the last EP. Um, yeah, and so I, I toured with them, starting in uh, yeah, joining the band in in uh, 2008, and then we did our last show in 2014, oh, okay. right before I joined Yonder. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, such great heights. That was one that for um, I love that tune. You uh, yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah, that's one of my of all the Joy Kill Sorrow ones. I mean, they're all great, but for whatever that one is the one that like just I'm just go back to a lot and listen to and think, holy cow, it's so good. <laughs> Yeah, that turned out really well. It was, that record was engineered really well, and um, I think everyone's performances are really good. And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, 
great record. And then, so how does the Yonder thing come about for you? Um, well, man, it was really fortuitous. You know, I could never have foresaw it. Um, I, uh, Joe Kilsaro, you know, decided to break up like kind of early 2014 and we went on our last tour, I think in, in April, 2014 and played our last sort of shows on May 1st, if I remember correctly. And I, I'd gotten the call from Yonder like mid April, um, you know, basically like a couple different people had recommended me um when they parted ways with um late jeff jeff austin Mm -hmm. and uh and uh yeah just you know my gig with joy kilsaro had come to an end and and they were in need of a mandel player and you know kind of within the same month so definitely i got really lucky in terms of how the timing worked out and they asked me about coming out and first we did a recording session for their new record and um basically signed me on for that in like a three-week tour and that was sort of the trial run and sure um during that tour they they asked me if i wanted to do the rest of the year uh the rest of 2014 and then somewhere i think maybe in october or something they asked me if i wanted to you know join the band and so the rest is history yeah that's awesome and did they bring ali yeah. right around the same time as well yep yep same time yeah we had the, our our first show was together in uh omaha Man, she's she's amazing too. Holy she is. cow! What? Absolutely. Um, when I saw you guys last time in Charleston, it was such a great show too. And and um, you guys both had a couple moments during that show where it was just like, just blew the roof off the place. Like, oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah, she, man! She always does. You know, she's um, she is. You know, in addition to being a great musician, she's great at lighting up a crowd like almost like nobody else I've ever seen. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, which is really fun to be on stage with, you know, it, it just helps everybody, you know, <laughs> yeah. she gets the crowd going. Oh so. man. Yeah. And you guys, do you guys, yeah. do you guys leave the country much as far as, as far as yonder? Do you like your European dates and stuff too? Or do you, do no, you... Um, they did, they did some of that before I joined, but no, we don't do a whole lot of, of that. We kind of takes us about, you know, the markets we try to hit in the States every year, kind of take up all the touring time. Sure. And um, we do do a, we do a festival down in uh, Mexico near Cancun that's a like a jam band festival called Strings and Soul. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, in, yeah, in December. So um my my band's actually we're doing some international stuff. We're going to uh to Australia next month uh for the Dorigo festival. Oh no kidding, really? Yeah, yeah. So oh, I'm really nice, excited man. about that. Yeah, that's yeah that's real great. Totally. So then your band, let's talk about your band. You put out the instrumentals volume one. Uh, right 2018 very creative very very creative well left it leaves it open it's open-ended by putting that volume one on there (laughs) so how long was that in the works um Um, as far as the the tunes um, and yeah it took you know it took a while to put it out just because you know it was all up to me and i was lazy about it but it um (laughs) the recording was really quick we recorded the whole thing in like five days wow um yeah and um the, we rehearsed, you know, we did like a three-day rehearsal and a two-day rehearsal, so like five days of rehearsing, um, very intense, you know, ten-hour days, and then people putting in a lot of time on their own, um, and we we made the whole record without a single chart, or I think maybe one guy had a chart for part of one tune, and that was wow. it. So, it was, you know, given the nature of the music, I think it was pretty impressive that we. We made it that way. Yeah, no um, kidding. I, I basically just taught them all the tunes, like basically by ear, you know. Um, wow. So, yeah. So it was. Uh, I mean, I, I sometimes can't believe we pulled it off, but I'm definitely planning on making another one in the next, like, you know, definitely in the next year. Oh, so, cool, man. That was a question yeah. uh, somebody had asked me when they found out I was going to be doing the podcast with you. Like, have you ask him if there's going to be a volume two? I'm like, yeah, I could definitely, I could definitely yeah, ask yeah. him that, man. So that's awesome. Well, I haven't decided yet if I want to make a record that has the vocal vocal material on it. Sure. Um, that we do, but I'm kind of leaning towards making another instrumental record just because I like 
you know, as much as I don't like playing shows of all instrumental music because I feel like it's tough to keep a crowd engaged. But I, I bet. I'm um, I'm still I, I like playing instrumental music just as much and I like writing it. So um, I'm not sure what the next record will be, but I'm definitely planning on recording one in the next year. So if you had to pick one of these songs off of the album that you would you would be like, this one best represents what I was going for at that time. It might be tough because it's like, you know, it's probably oh, like having 10 kids. That is but... tough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that Pearson costs the Rocky Mountains. I feel like that's very, very much my style. You know, in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. I, that's hard to say. I mean, I think the, the album as a whole represents different aspects of my playing, mm-hmm. um, especially because it's all original. You know, it's definitely kind of it, I think it encapsulates pretty well what I sound like, you know, sure. um, both from writing and like um, soloing perspective. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's tough to pick one tune. I probably I probably can't very effectively. But, you know, the one we probably play the most is that Shearson crosses the Rocky Mountains. Um, Which is my, one it's my good. favorite one, by the way, on the album. It's oh, thanks. So good, dude. Yeah, it always goes over pretty well because I just think it sounds like so on edge. It's yeah, so yeah. Intense, tense the whole way through, you know. For sure. Is um, that how you wrote it to initially be that intense? Was it something that grew in the when you were rehearsing and then went in the studio, or was that kind of always like the? Uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's the melody is pretty like um, frenetic, you know. So that. Yeah, it's kind of always been that way, though, like some of the, the, the sort of free improvisation section in the middle of some nights is like crazier than others, you know, um, and I'm always fine with the band to kind of, you know, in general with my band, I don't really tell them how to play or anything because I, you know, I just hire guys that who I like their playing, you know, and then have them do their thing. So with each different guy that plays with me, you know, stuff will take us, have a certain different flavor, you know? Yeah. Um, but I don't, I never try, you know, when Jake Stargell's subbing on guitar instead of stash, I never try to get him to play like stash. I don't, can, and, I don't know uh, that anybody could. <laughs> no, no, for sure. But no one can such a no wild play man. like Jake. Oh yeah, either, for sure. Know? That guy's, he was with you when you were in Charleston, I believe, correct? I think so. Yeah. Great player. Yeah. Great yeah, player. Yeah, he's amazing. Um, and I feel like all the guys at the level that I, that I get to come out with me, you know, they all have their own thing. Oh, you know? for sure. There's basically, I, I think, and that's probably just sort of a universal thing about players of a certain level. You know, there aren't famous players of a high, at a high level that sound just like another famous player at a high right, level. Right. Exactly. They wouldn't be, they wouldn't be famous, you know, not to say that all the guys that I play with are famous, but I feel like most of the musicians that come out with me have, have a reputation with, within their instrument, at least as sure. being great. And, you know, uh, and well, therefore, you, you know, they have, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say, well, I mean, that's, that's what makes, I think all the big players, the big players, you know, Totally. One other song. Well, we're still talking about the Umbo. Another one that I uh, really would like to talk about real quick is that. Is it Layla's? Is that how you say it? Layla's Waltz? Layla's Waltz. Layla's Waltz. That is, yeah, that is a beautiful tune. Uh, just the Thank melody you. to that song is excellent, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, and your playing on it is so great. I mean, your playing on the whole thing is great, but just like uh, it's just your double stops are always. You're playing so even. You you have great. You know, you could tell that you practice a lot on sound because your playing <laughs> is very. Is it just? It sounds great. It sounds even and together, and so great. Yeah, you know, it's funny, man, because, like, I I don't necessarily always think my playing sounds that unique. I just um, – it just sounds like me. I mean, I like – or it sounds like – at best, it sounds like what I'm going for. A lot of the time, it's still, like, not nearly the sound I'm going for. But, sure. you know, it, it's um, – but then, you know, other people will point out things about it that are unique to me that I don't necessarily even notice. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, for me, I'm just sort of, yeah, like I said earlier, I'm just kind of going for the sound that's in my head. 
Um, and it, to me, it sounds, seems like kind of like an obvious sound, you know, but then you realize that's not the sound everyone else is going for, you know, and that's, that's good. You know, you don't want everyone to sound the same. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and so, hopefully people like the sound you're going for. Obviously, if they don't, yeah. then <laughs> that's, that's, that's a whole other issue. Shows, but, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, we're talking about sound. We should talk. I know most of it comes from your hands, but let's talk you a, a little bit about Gary. You, you got a Gilchrist kind of recently yep. compared to, uh, you had the Sam Bush model for a while, correct? Yeah, I had the Sam Bush model from like 2008 to 2017. I might still have it, but. Sure, um, sure. Did, I, you, uh, did you win that? Yes, yeah, yeah. the Rocky Grass. Yeah, Mandalorian let's talk about contest. that, man. What What tunes did you play? Well, um, I mean, that was like 13 years ago, but it was, uh, uh, let me think. I, I played an instrumental that I wrote. Um, I only, only have ever done two contests, so it's pretty easy for me to remember it. Sure. I, I, yeah, I did an instrumental that I wrote. I did uh, this tune, Old French, which is just like a fiddle tune. Yep, yep. It's kind of a cool fiddle tune. And then, um, shit, um, I thought it would be easy for me to remember. <laughs> Honestly, that's all I can remember. There would have been at least two other tunes, but I can't. What was I the can't other? Remember what they were? What was the other uh, band or mandolin contest that you were in? Oh, Winfield, the it, the national mandolin championship. It, did you win that one too? Yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah, that was two yeah, for thanks. two for two, buddy. <laughs> two for two, and then, I re, and then I retired. Good call. That's the way that to do one, it, man. Go on on top. <laughs> I remember that one. That one I played Rebecca, the like Herschel size yeah. tune. Cool. Um I played I played I played old French again, that same one I played in at Rocky Grass, but with different you know, played it very differently. And um I played Just Friends, which is like a jazz standard. Mm -hmm. Cool, man. And then I played this Irish tune that I can't remember what it was called, but um I learned it from a Solas record. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. Nice. So that, I remember what I played in that one. That was like 2012, so that was a long time ago too. But. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So now you got the uh, the Gilchrist. Yep, I got that a couple years ago. Yeah, nice. Psyched on it. I bet. It was that is was that a, a big difference? Because obviously you played that Sam Bush model uh, a lot, a lot of hours on that. Was it? Was it weird? Totally. Was it weird? First live. I show? mean, honestly, I, it's the like basically the first mandolin I've ever had built, and. Um, and uh, Stephen Gilchrist was just um, so great about it. I mean, he 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 made me a great deal. He made you know he he made it about as risk free as as it could be. Um, and um, you know, I having never had something built, you know, even though it was Gilchrist, I was like, oh, I wonder if I'll like this as well as my other mandolin. Sure. Um, but then I, I I played it and uh, you know, within about thirty seconds I was like holy shit this is like incredible like <laughs> yeah. so there was there was basically no adjustment period it was like this thing is just way better and there's no comparison oh, that's um, so cool and I you know I've had a lot of people play it and a lot of people who've played a lot of Gilchrist play it and say that it's one of the best ones they've ever played if oh, not man, the best awesome. so i think i got really lucky it's a it's a pretty amazing instrument that's great i mean not not lucky nothing's lucky you know he's all all of the instruments he makes are incredible and that's why he is who he is sure uh he doesn't he doesn't make duds you know <laughs> right um, right but i really think this is a, a special one you know i'm i'm sure pretty most gilchrist owners probably say that too <laughs> but um i know like i when i got it i went over, i was in nashville and i went over to the to the Opry at the Ryman that night because Dell was playing and I wanted to show it to Ronnie. Yeah. And I remember Ronnie said that it was it was more like his Gilchrist than any other new Gilchrist that he played. Wow. Um, which is cool. And you know, Ronnie's mandolin is one of the few mandolins I pick up still, and I'm like, yeah, this is this is better than mine. But <laughs> that doesn't happen very often, you. Yeah, that's great, man. And yeah. what are you using for picks and strings? Um, I use just that that um blue chip like ct55 that mm -hmm. a lot of people use sure um as we all follow chris Delian <laughs> from pick brand to pick brand That's right. <laughs> um and uh <laughs> i mean i'd love to i'd love for him to intentionally push that and just use more and more ridiculous picks you know and oh that'd be great um, see, watch watch the mandolin community just follow him off a cliff oh know? my god yeah um, oh that'd be so but, fun. Uh, <laughs> that's that's yeah. hilarious i'm just I'm visualizing uh just the uh the worst picks in the world from like a oh, center right? like all i use are these kiss 
in printed with Gene Simmons' face. It's the only one I use. I go to every guitar yeah. center I'm in town of. It'd just be selling exactly. out everywhere. <laughs> um, so I use those, and then I use the the J75 D'Addario strings. And uh, use the coated ones, have... or do you use not coated? No, not the coated ones. Mm. I don't have a lot of thoughts on that, honestly. I've never really tried the current one. Sure, but. sure. How about live live rig? Uh, what what type of uh, when you play? You play plugged in with Yonder. With Yonder plugged in, sometimes the Jacob Jolliffe band plugs in, but usually mm-hmm. we uh, majority of the time we still play through a large diaphragm condenser mic. Um, but uh, yeah, I have a, a Fishman pickup. That's um, the one that's in the the saddle. Um, it's in the top part of the bridge, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and I use the what everyone's using, and rightfully so, the uh, the Grace Felix uh, uh, preamp. I just bought a Grace preamp last week. Nice, Ooh. yeah. It's so it's natural. Definitely a step up, yeah, yeah. It big step up, step up. I think it's the biggest one to come along in years for sure. Do you plug into anything else when you're playing with Yonder? Um, a couple pedals sometimes. Mm-hmm. Nothing I'm super psyched on, to be honest. Sure. I need to, I need to do some pedal shopping. I'm just, I'm not very techy, and I always put that kind of thing off. But <laughs> right, right. I do use a distortion that, you know, um, it's hard to tell how it sounds out front. I'm sure our front of house engineer gets it sounded pretty good, though. Like in the in the in your monitors, sometimes the distortion doesn't sound very good. But oh, really? Yeah. You know, yeah, that's not a huge surprise, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, what type of stuff you what type of stuff you listen to now? You listen to anything real cool or anything different? Um, you know, I listen to uh, what have I been listening to? I listen to a lot of Kurt Rosenwinkel, um, uh, incredible modern jazz guitar player. Yeah, uh, so I listen to a lot of him and um, Chris Potter, who's an amazing, you know, um, one of the best, you know, jazz saxophone players like living. Nice. I just I just saw him play in New York. Um, and so I've been on a kick to listen to him. Um, let's see. Oh, I, I know I was going to ask you earlier here, too. Is there a song when you were young that you first learned? Like, was there one song that you were when you nailed it? You were just like, oh, my gosh, finally. Oh, um, uh, that's a good question. Uh, um, no, I remember being obsessed with Rocky Top by the Oz Brothers. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I ever learned how to play it or sing it, though. I think I just I listened to it on repeat. Oh, Bluegrass Breakdown, I, the, uh, Bill Monroe. I oh, loved yeah. that, too. Um, I had a tape that, like, it was like a mixed tape that my dad had made, but it was, like, not a mix. It was literally just bluegrass breakdown over and over again on both sides of one cassette. Get out of here, really? So that I could listen to it. I have, I think there was like one other song to break up the monotony, like <laughs> somewhere in there, but it was mostly just bluegrass. And so I was clearly obsessed with that. Yeah. You know, you know, um, actually when I was young, I did transcribe a lot of Ronnie McCurry solos. No kidding. Um, and I, I think I, you know, that's when I first started transcribing. So I think when I first discovered, oh, I can like learn note for note what these guys do. That was definitely a eureka moment. I remember a couple different Ronnie solos where no I was kidding. like, holy crap, I figured, I figured it out, you know? So yeah. um, I'll just ask you a couple quick questions here and let you go. I know you're uh, no ready to play some shows and I really appreciate the time. So the two questions good, I man. always end this podcast <clears throat> with. Um, the first one is um, if you had 10 minutes today to pick up your instrument and work on something, or you would recommend somebody to work on something, what would you recommend? Well, I would say what I would recommend, uh, I, I don't think I could blanket recommend for, sure. for, um, for everyone, Absolutely. you know, I know just like because of how I'm feeling right now, mm-hmm. uh, I would just put a, the metronome on. Uh, and just start playing with it. Not necessarily a tune. That's just what I'm feeling right now. Like I haven't played it yet today, and that's what I plan on doing. Nice. Um, 
is just put the metronome on and I don't know what I'm going to do with it yet. I, I, you know, a lot of times what I do is I put the metronome pretty slow uh-huh. and I practice playing lots of different subdivisions versus like, you know, obviously you don't need to put a metronome on fast to practice playing fast. In fact, I think it's a lot of times more beneficial to put the metronome on slow and then work up your subdivisions. Sure. Um, so if I had 10 minutes, that's what I would do today. Nice. When you, um, so when you say and, subdivisions for somebody who might not be familiar with that, like a quick, sure. a quick example. Well, maybe you're, you know, maybe put the metronome on like 75 beats per minute mm-hmm. and you, you start by playing just quarter notes yep. um, and really paying attention to having them lock up with the metronome. And, and then, you know, you could do quarter note triplets and then eighth notes and then eighth note triplets and then um, 16th notes and, and work your way up that way. You awesome. Know? Yeah. I um, actually have an example and, of that on my Patreon page where I go through. Um, oh, with cool. a metronome and start with whole notes, half notes, quarter notes, triplets, eighths, sure. you know, just to, yeah, that's a, that's one of my favorites, man. Yeah. So, I mean, today that's what I would do other days, you know, um, I, I would start, you know, I, I start with a variety of different things, you know, today I feel like I'm going to do that. I'm going to put the metronome on and I'm going to mostly pay attention to tone and locking up with the metronome. Sure. Um, almost not even like caring what I'm playing. Other days I might start with a specific piece of repertoire that I'm working on, but just mm-hmm. today I feel like I need to lock up with the metronome. You know, the reason is actually because I spent the last two days in the studio playing with the click. And when you play with the click in the studio, really you see your deficiencies really quickly. <laughs> sure. um, so I think that's why I want to start with that today. Yeah. You know? That's awesome. I, I just love how the fact too, that you are so in tune with, with the, the instrument and yourself and you're like, I think this is what I'm feeling today. That is so, that's just the best to hear somebody like you well, say you know, that. Well, you know, I love I it. go through long periods of times where I have like um, very um, um, prescribed um, routine mm-hmm. for practicing. But lately I've been trying to go more towards like, what do I feel like practicing? Because it, you know, if you have a lot of natural energy for something, the practice is going to be more effective. And also like, who's to say what's better to practice than anything else? So right, right. Uh, right now I feel like I need to work on my timing and having just come out of the studio, that highlights that. And so that's probably what I'm going to start, start with. <laughs> nice. And that was with the studio with Yonder, I'm guessing? Yeah. Uh-huh. Cool, man. Absolutely. And then it is mandolins, <clears throat> mandolins and beer. So yeah. uh, I don't know if you imbibe in beers, but if you do, do you have like a current favorite that you've been drinking? You know, I don't drink anymore. I haven't drank for about three years. Nice. Um, yeah, but I did love beer back in the day. Sure. Uh, probably too much. And <laughs> it's definitely had some favorites. Um, I remember, lo- you know, this is pretty classic at this point for beer lovers, but the old Rasputin Imperial Stout. Yeah. Um, the North Coast Brewery. I loved that one. Um, and I loved, I remember I loved the Dogfish Head 90 Minute IPA. Oh, that's so good. Um, and the, uh, the, the Fiend de Mont Brewery. I think that's the name of the brewery. Is that the brewery or is that the beer itself? That one I'm not familiar with. It's like a, I think it's a Canadian Belgian brew. Ah, shoot. I don't know if it's Canadian. It's a Belgian brewery. I don't know if it's Canadian or if I just drank a bunch of it in Canada one time. <laughs> um, it's kind of hard to separate. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, and I can't remember if Fiend de Mont, I don't think that, I think that's the name of one of their beers actually. But I remember I really liked the Belgian beers and in particular that one. Cool. Uh, actually, no, Trace Pistoles. That was the name of the beer of theirs that I liked the best. Trace so Pistoles. There's, the, yeah, cool. the, there's a few that I liked. That's awesome. <laughs> Back when I drank. Sure, yeah. sure, absolutely. <laughs> and you're still yep. doing, uh, you're still, if somebody wants to reach out to you, uh, I know I've taken a few a few Skype lessons f- from you that I have found, um, uh, I can't even tell you how valuable they were. And oh, know, thanks. When you talked about breaking down your playing and... Um, and uh, being a, being not afraid to do that, that's one of the things you really helped me with some right-hand stuff and left-hand stuff, too. Sure. That has changed my playing for the better. You know, Great. Every time I notice any sort of improvement, it's always usually related to the fact that I broke that down. And so... Um, sure. And the other thing, you're a little bit of inspiration for this podcast because that was the first music lesson I had ever taken in my life. And oh wow! Okay, ever. yeah. And um, been playing a lot, so I had to be prepared for like um, any. You know, you were very kind to to point out things you were never like. Whoa, this is terrible. You know, what I mean? you're oh. like, you were great, and that that's what it was the like just finding out like people like you and other people like in this whole genre of music are so nice and so laid back and so open to helping people become better. 
at the, sure. at the, the art of playing mandolin that was, really was like, I really want to talk to more people like you and, and break it down for people to be like, yeah, you've, all these people have such great insight and are so willing to share it. So, yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, there's a, maybe a place for being a hard ass and there's been times I've taken lessons where I've really wanted someone to dig in and be critical, but sure. it, I think, you know, critique is one thing and like being an asshole and, and, and just tearing someone apart is a different thing. And I, I think there's so much to be said for like a positive attitude when you're practicing. Like I know for me, like I can't really practice with a bad attitude. Like if I'm just feeling dark in my playing, my, my practicing is not going to be very effective. Like sure. I need to be sort of feeling optimistic. Yeah. Yeah. And sort of the longer I can sustain an optimistic, you know, if I can only sustain an optimistic attitude towards playing and practicing, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes some days it's only maybe for 45 minutes. And sometimes I think it's better to just only practice for 45 minutes. than other days I'm having a good day and, you know, maybe I just ate the right food, got the right amount of exercise. Who, who knows? But like <laughs> I can sustain that like positive attitude for longer. And I try to practice, you know, longer on those days. Cause it's, you really do need to have the right attitude. And so for that reason, I don't think that tearing people down, um, is usually the way to go. Um, you know, and it's, it's more like, you know, point out the things someone is doing well, uh, and how you build on that, you know? Yeah. Well, do that. I think that's why you have found all the success you have found, not just your incredible talent in playing, but you are genuinely a nice guy. He's optimistic oh, and, and and you've earned all the success that you that you currently have had. And I'm excited to see what else lays in the, ahead in the future for you, buddy. Yeah. Thanks, Daniel. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Of course, man. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. No worries. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. And there you have it. Another week in the books. Week number 11 with Jake Jolliffe. Uh, obviously a great guy. I want to thank my sponsors, Peghead Nation and Mandolin Cafe. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for listening. Please click subscribe. Go check out the playlist. Next week, one of my heroes, Mike Marshall. Cheers, everybody.